Hey, one fans, Andy here. We're going to Cisco Live, and we can't wait to see you there. If we see you wearing an A1 or Cables to Cloud shirt at Cisco Live, we'll enter you in our giveaway that includes a bunch of cool prizes like an A1 branded Yeti cup and an OCG of your choice from our friends at Cisco Press. Don't have a shirt? No problem. Head to the link in our bio and grab yours today. See you soon. This is the Art of Network Engineering podcast. In this podcast, we'll explore tools, technologies, and talented people. We aim to bring you information that will expand your skill sets and toolbox and share the stories of fellow network engineers. Welcome to the Art of Network Engineering. I am AJ Murray at No Blinky Blinky, and I am joined this evening by Tim at Tim Bertino on Twitter. Tim, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? Good, AJ. Good to see you. Been uh, just trying to keep up. Work's been good. Started the, uh, I guess it's the final season of Jack Ryan on Amazon Ooh. Prime. That's a that's a fun one. And uh, now trying to still trying to write a little bit. Doing a little bit of studying here and there. I saw, um, not relevant for when this releases, but <laughs> uh, Cisco did another uh, rev up to research thing to get some uh, free continuing education credits if you run through 30. one of their courses. So 30 yeah, free credits. 30. That's, that's so crazy. I'm digging through that. Figure might as well not let that uh, pass up, but yeah, yeah. just uh, trying to keep busy. Very good. Very good. Also joining us, Andy Laptev. He is at Andy Laptev. Hi, Andy. Hello, AJ Murray. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing, buddy? Uh, good, man. Um, it's good to be here. The hell am I been doing? Um, you closed your pool. My, oh, my pool closed today. Yeah, so I just sad. saw the picture with the cover it. on it, but right before we got on here. So, yeah. But Two. but when this when this releases, it'll be back open. <laughs> <laughs> That's I don't know. True. The cash is running short. It might be out sooner than we think. <laughs> <laughs> uh, life is pretty good, man. Um, yeah, the pool's closed. I'm studying for my JNCIA. I saw our guest, who we'll get to in a moment. Um, he's going for his JNCIA data center, which is what I'm going for after this first Juno's JNCIA thing. But I want to take the data center track up as high as I can go. Um, and uh, I was working a little bit on my home lab today. I have some VQFXs spun up in the home lab. I'm messing around with some. Uh, VXLA and VPN stuff, and uh, our good friend Aninda was like, "Yeah, tear them out." There's a new VJunos, I think Evo. I should know the marketing terms, but um, there, there's a new jam that's much more stable than the VQFXs. So, uh, working on the lab, doing some studying, creating some fun content with you guys. So, yeah, man, just keep it on, keep it on. You know, I've been in product what like 18 months now, so I feel like yeah. the longer I'm on the vendor side, on the business side of things, like my technical skills are kind of atrophying and it bothers me. Uh, like yeah. I, I love the business side and I love getting to see what we're working on and what's coming and how we're working on, you know, some, some cool CX stuff. But I, I uh, it bothers me that I'm on these technical calls and I'm like, I forget what that was and how did they do that? <laughs> and so that's partly why I'm jumping back into the, into the cert track. Cause you know, a, I need to keep up on these technical calls I'm on and be like, it just, I don't know. This is, this has been my career for a decade. And even though I've been in vendor land a year and a half, it still feels gross to like not be doing <laughs> some form of engineering. Like I want to yeah. be on the keyboard. I want to be learning stuff, you know, at the yeah. very least to be relevant. I mean, I can't come on this show and be like, I don't know anything anymore, but I started <laughs> the show with you. So I'm still here. Like, you know, I feel like I need street cred. So like, yeah, I did all that stuff today, AJ. Um, <laughs> Can I still be in the gang? <laughs> Do I get we, to stay? Should we have like a network engineer, any like gang sign? Is that how that works? I don't know. I just, yeah, I just want to be in the cool club, man. How you doing, AJ? I ask him as he drinks. No, no, it's quite all right. Uh, I'm, do, I'm doing very well. It's it's fall here in Vermont. Uh, we were talking about that just uh, moments ago before we started the show. Uh, the, the leaves are turning all pretty colors. The mountainside looks like it's on fire and... Uh, it feels like it's on fire because it's still 84 degrees here, which is very unseasonably warm for uh, Vermont this time of year. But uh, no, I, I had a great day today. I, I'm taking uh, today and tomorrow off because I have to do a cutover this weekend and then work all of next week. So uh, squeezing in a few comp days. And uh, I'm taking that time to go fly my drone and take some pretty pictures with my camera while I can uh, of the the pretty uh, landscapes and stuff like that. So it's a it's a good time. I'm set to get up tomorrow morning at four o'clock. I'm gonna meet up with another photographer friend of mine, and we're gonna shoot some awesome sunrise stuff uh, 
you know, out in the middle of, of Northeast Kingdom, Vermont. So it should be a good time. Listen, if you're going to get a hobby, make sure it's something you can sleep in for. Like, yeah, I'm, I was just gonna yeah. Say. I'm <laughs> yeah. the same way. Like I go fishing and I'm up at three in the car, three 30 driving. Like <laughs> you got to get some hobbies where you can like just sleep until right? nine. And, uh, right. I was going to say, where, where did that, that came out of nowhere. Yeah. I'm, I'm taking the next, uh, took today off, going to take tomorrow off. So I'm going to get up at four. So, okay. <laughs> My new hobby is going to be breakfast in bed at like 9 30 a.m. Fantastic. I call that retirement, yep. Andy, I think. <laughs> goals, man. Goals. All right. Uh, anyway, it's time to introduce our guest. He has joined us before on a previous episode of The Art of Network Engineering, where he talked about his transition out of the military and into a technical career. I'm very excited to welcome back John Breath. You might know him better as at Cyber Insight on YouTube. John, thank you so much for joining us again. It's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Hey, everybody. Uh, appreciate you for having me back. Had a great time last time. Uh, finally get to meet Andy and, and AJ, actually. So, uh, yeah, great to great to be here and uh, looking forward to chatting with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you're very, uh, and as I was saying before the show, you're very networking adjacent. You, your focus is, is mainly cybersecurity, but uh, it sounds like you cut your teeth and uh, got a lot of your experience uh, in networking. And a lot of your content today is still very networking focused. So I thought it was more than appropriate to welcome you back to the show and dive a little bit deeper into your career, your experiences, uh, and, and share any advice, which I'm sure you have a ton of with our listeners. Uh, so to, to kind of kick things off, can we get the, the, uh, you know, the notes, the cliff notes version of, of your career? Sure. <laughs> Cause we've already kind of talked about it a little bit before. Sure. Uh, so started my career back in 2003, joined the air force, uh, in the air force, I was doing kind of like long haul telecommunications and then, uh, got asked to go support, uh, a special project, which, uh, was supporting air force one and the rest of the special air mission, uh, fleet of aircraft. So doing kind of like network and security administration for the, the networks that that traffic was going over. So uh, finished out my four years doing that uh, in the DC area and then transitioned from there to go uh, become a contractor, which I, a lot of people end up doing that once they're uh, here in this area. Went to go work for one of the more uh, well-known consulting companies. And that was kind of where I really started to become like a network engineer and going down that path. So uh, worked doing that for about six years. And during that time, uh, got my CCMP, took CCIE written and passed out a few times. Um, CISP, went to grad school, you know, just did a whole bunch of stuff um, that was, for the most part, primarily focused on network engineering. Uh, after about six years there, I ended up transitioning to go work at a tier one ISP. And uh, that was very, very interesting because it was actually starting up a program uh, that was focused on providing uh, cybersecurity solutions to protect different uh, federal agencies against uh, different types of advanced persistent threats. So in that role, still doing network engineering, but then also kind of getting a little bit more into uh, system design and architecture. And that over a course of... I don't know, maybe six years, seven years, eight years. I ended up moving up and becoming the, the lead architect on that program. And then also during that time, I ended up kind of deciding I wanted to start my own company. Uh, so started my own consulting company, continued doing uh, that same type of uh, principal architect type of role. And uh, yeah, that's what I do now. So I just have uh, various clients do uh, architecture work, both on the cybersecurity side, networking side, a uh, bit of GRC. So things related to you know, ATOs and 853 and NIST and all that stuff that, that people hate talking about. Um, I don't mind diving into that a little bit. I actually find that having the, the, you know, pretty strong technical background makes it a lot easier to understand what those requirements are and kind of be able to relay them to people who maybe aren't as familiar uh, with the intent of, of those types of controls. So that's kind of it from a job perspective. Um, but as you mentioned, I also like to do a bit of content creation. So uh, I have a YouTube channel. Uh, I think at this point, I probably have maybe 200 videos covering everything from beginner networking concepts, Network Plus, CCNA, CCMP labs, a bit of cloud stuff, DevOps, a lot of offensive security, defensive security, pretty much anything that's kind of interesting to me. I, I like making content on it. So um, if I know about it, then I'll talk about it. And if I don't know about it, then I'll pull up a uh, command prompt and try going through some labs and people can see uh, where I screw up because that's normally where 
everything else grew up to. Learning in real time. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, there's there, there's a lot to unpack here. So I want to go back to you, you said you were assigned a project where you're you're working with communications mm-hmm. on you know that little airplane called Air Force yes. One. Yep. Uh, and it sounds like the support aircraft that kind of, you know, go with it. Yep. So, um, support aircraft. And then also the rest of the fleet that supported, uh, VIPs. So pretty much SecDef, um, Flotus, vice president, um, a few other like COCOM commanders and things like that. So pretty much if they were really, really important, then they probably got to fly on one of those blue and white aircraft that kind of looks like Air Force One, but is a little bit smaller. So pretty much anybody that was flying on those, uh, they were coming through the network that I was working on. Wow. That's, that's, and, and you said it was like, Oh, three, Oh, four, Oh, five, somewhere in that yep. ballpark. Yeah. So that, that was like still pretty, pretty fresh off of nine 11. Sure. I have to imagine like it was a very heightened sense of security, mm-hmm. probably a lot more tension than, than it got pre nine 11 kind of thing. Sure. Yeah. Um, what, what was the vibe like doing, doing that kind well, of work? So it's actually interesting because the system and network that was supporting that actually was developed after nine 11, because when nine 11 happened, pretty much all the communication channels were locked up and uh, the government was like, Hey, we actually need to get some, some dedicated calm paths established so that if we end up getting into a situation like this again, we have, you know, the right communication devices, paths, um, availability there uh, so that the leaders are able to communicate. And so that was kind of where that project was birthed out of. Um, and I started working on it probably, I don't know, maybe like two years after its inception or so. Um, it's Oh, so it was still pretty brand new at that time. Um, Oh, sorry. What was that, Tim? I was saying, so it was still pretty brand new at that time. Yeah, super, super brand new. Yep. Are you still swearing to secrecy? Like, I love and I don't love talking to people like you, because when I hear about a network like that, I'm like, oh, my God, I I can't wait to hear how that all works. And I'm pretty sure it's like, yeah, bro, I can't. I mean, so I don't know. That's a a great. You don't have to. No, no, that's a great great question. Um, I would I will say this. I, I think. I mean, obviously the equipment and stuff like that, that was there and that was used back then and the vendors that were used and the different, you know, uh, satellite providers and, you know, all that type of stuff has definitely changed <laughs> since, since oh, yeah. way back then. So, so, so that's where I was going yeah. with it. Like, so my very dumb, dumb high level question <laughs> is like, so Air Force One and all the yeah. other fancy blue and white planes, sure. they're all talking to each other. Mm-hmm. So that's the network that you're kind of working on. And then my guess was that it was satellite, although I didn't want to call you out and make you say sure. it, but I mean, I'm guessing that's how they all. Right. I mean, that, that's yeah. that's pretty much the only option at that point. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, that, so. Can't run cables. Yeah. Can't, yeah. Very, very, very long lasers. Um. <laughs> so, so here's the, so they didn't have, they couldn't do that prior, right? Like. So I, I think I mean, the, the difference was. Trying to think how to put this. Um, yeah, you, you don't have. Did to. it? Well, we no, can, no, no, no. Because I don't. I don't think I'm. Saying I don't want to get in trouble. Anything out of school, yeah. but the difference was getting things that were dedicated specifically for that particular mission versus mm. it just being traffic that was normally going over uh, a satellite yeah. or or a satellite that was fighting for contention with everything else that was going over it. Dedicated satellites, folks. Mm. More wow, it's not necessarily <laughs> full dedicated satellites. Yes. Yeah. Cool. Yep. Wow, that's, that's amazing. And how do you get a job like that? Is that because of your Air Force background? Um, so was, I just, after your I, service, I just right? happened to be lucky that I was um, working in the building where that program was. And I was wow. doing really well at my job in long haul telecom and uh, they needed folks and they saw that I had, you know, at, at that point, I ended up doing like my undergrad in about two and a half years when I was in the Air Force. And so they saw that I was like crushing classes. And like, I think at that point, I might have already had my CCNA. If I didn't, I already had my Network Plus and, and Sec Plus. So they were like, all right, th- this this person, even though he's young, uh, you know, is kind of like plugged into stuff, can learn stuff um, and, you know, is, is a top performer amongst, you know, his peers. So that was how I- that's an outage call. I don't want to get when I'm on call. Like The president's pissed. <laughs> oh, <Sean. shit. laughs> president can't call, you know, play number 32 to. Yeah, talk to no, it, it definitely it definitely prepared me for. uh 
a lot of, of other future things to come. I mean, you look at it from this perspective, like every day you have to go uh, and create PowerPoint presentations and go and brief, um, in essence, colonels in the Air Force. Uh, and you're, you know, a 21 year old or E3, which is like one of the lowest ranking, you know, people around. Um, you're also writing up incident reports whenever any of this stuff happens. And these incident reports are being fed up through, you know, the chain of command all the way up to like, the general staff level. So like the way that you articulate things, the way that you present information, it all has to be spot on, very concise, very clear, no errors. Uh, so having kind of like that, that fear of God instilled in you from that made it very easy to kind of transition over into um, the non-military world and putting together presentations, talking to clients, things like that. It's like it, it already was kind of like hammered home. Were you intimidated by talking to senior leadership? Because I think that, I mean, I know I have in like certain companies, you know, like executive packaging and talking to these big wigs and like even in the private sector, right? So was that was that tough for you? Did you have any tricks to like, you know, how do you talk to the big super bosses without pooping your pants? And um, I, I mean, repetition is really all it was. And so it just became you have to do this brief every day. So mm. it, you know, it kind of, it, it kind of is what it is and you, you understand yeah. kind of uh, people's temperaments and you understand kind of the expectations of the information that they want to be provided. Uh, and when you do that on kind of a consistent, consistent basis, then you're kind of like establishing a level of trust with them. And then that obviously makes communicating with them much easier going forward. Uh, but definitely, I mean, being, being 20 or 21 and, you know, uh, having to report on these things that, you know, have an impact to, to national security, really. Uh, and, you know, communicating this to, to senior leadership definitely, uh, you know, definitely gets your stomach in a knot <laughs> for sure. Uh, the first, <laughs> the first few times or few months that you're doing that. Um, but I think, you know, like, like anything, you, you do it enough times. Uh, and then as you move on to other stuff in life, you can kind of reflect back on things that you've previously done whenever you're in new situations where you're kind of, you know, worried or nervous. Um, you know that you've performed in the past, so you can kind of lean on that. JB, let's, let's talk about the tie between business and technology. So a, a lot a long part of your career, you were very highly technical, both in the Air Force and in the private sector, and also as a contractor. And then you decided to pivot to essentially running your own business sure. and, and having clients. Yep. How difficult, for one, how difficult of a decision was that for you? And where where do you feel like you started gaining some of that business acumen? Was it as you started jumping into architecture roles or how did you pick that up along the way? So I, I think kind of a, a few things. So it was starting to work out of the Air Force for a consulting company. So they did a very good job um, kind of teaching the fundamentals of, of what that is, of building relationships, problem solving. It's not, you know, just coming in with what you think the right solution is or, or having a particular solution in mind that you're trying to fit, you know, uh, or round peg into a square hole, right? It's, it's actually listening, developing relationships with people. Um, through that, you're able to kind of get a better pulse on what their primary problem is and then kind of their secondary problems. And then you might be able to end up coming up with a whole bunch of different types of solutions. Some of those might not even be technical, right? So I, I think that part of it definitely uh, helped. I think kind of the, the thing for me that pushed me more towards wanting to go the route of owning my own business was um, I ended up, you know, getting friends along the way who had started their own companies. So that definitely, there was a, a level of kind of mentorship and, and seeing other people doing it. Uh, and then there also was the aspect of doing business development for some of these large companies and not necessarily getting any benefit from that. <laughs> so if you're, you know, working 40 hours a week and then you got to go and do another 10 or 15 hours of business development for the company you're working for and, you know, you end up winning a contract the senior leadership ends up getting bonuses. You don't get anything from it. You're like, okay, uh, I'll do that a few times. I'll kind of learn <laughs> some, some lessons from this. But eventually you got to be like, I, I have no issues working really hard and busting my ass, but I'd much rather prefer to do it for myself and, and get something out of it than do it for somebody else. And they don't even know who you are, right? So that was kind of what, what 
pushed me in that direction. Uh, and once I had that epiphany, I didn't, it wasn't like I just went and started my company after that. It, I still like that seed was planted and it still took another, I don't know, five or six years of, you know, continuing to develop even more technical skills before I got to the point uh, where I was comfortable and felt that I had, you know, a, a wide enough network to where it would make sense to uh, kind of go that route. And to follow up on that, from the business side of sure. things, starting your own company, is there anything looking back now that you would have done different to get it started? Are you pretty happy with uh, how it's turned out? Um, no, I, I'm 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 pretty happy with how everything went. Um, I think for me, a lot of the a lot of the business that I've been able to to get over the years has kind of just been through my network and people who've already worked with me uh, and wanted to work with me again and would recommend me, you know, to the company that they, that they were working for um, and when it would bring me in that way. So I'm, I'm definitely not someone who's good at, uh, well, I wouldn't, I shouldn't say that I'm not good at it. I don't have as much of a desire to try and like cold sell somebody on my services. I'd much rather just be like, Hey, I already have a relationship with this person. I know that they have a need. They want to bring me in and it kind of, you know, works that way. Um, up to this point, I really haven't grown the business too much as far as like bringing on a whole bunch of other employees. I've, I brought on some 1099s at, at different points. Um, so maybe that's one thing that uh, at least I know in the future that I'm focusing on wanting to get growth uh, that way. Uh, but again, that even that there's, there's a balance to, you know, what you want to do with that. I, I definitely don't want to have a company where I end up getting so many people that I'm not able to still do technical stuff myself. Uh, and I'm not just trying to get a company where I just get, you know, contracts to just get people's, you know, what they call butts in seats, right? Where it's kind of like lower level admin roles and things like that. I think uh, if I do grow the company and bring other people on, I prefer to kind of keep it kind of like a boutique SME consultancy. So other people that have skill sets similar to mine, just a handful of people, you know, we're all adults. No one needs to be babysat. Like you just go out do good things for yeah. clients, develop relationships and, you know, uh, just kind of go that way. Well, that's good. I, I think it's important to know what you want and, and how you're going to run your business and, and not just kind of trying to guess and sure. check to yeah. try to, to grow it. I mean, you know exactly what you want and you heard it here first, kids. People networking is just as important. I mean, it's, like you <laughs> right. said, it's got to be a good feeling to pick up clients and or have people reach out to you and then come to find out that they heard about you through somebody That's else definitely. that they know or, or you know. That's that's really yeah. cool. So let's let's shift into technical sure. skill sets a little bit. We've talked in the past about how people who want to get into app development or cloud or, or some other IT adjacent uh, disciplines, there are a lot of good reasons to at least get some basic networking skills. Do you feel that that would be a similar recommendation on the information security or cybersecurity side of things as well? How important is net understanding networking fundamentals to learning security? Oh, 100%. So I, I don't like to use like, you know, blanket statements. There's, there are people who definitely can get in without having the background and do well and, you know, uh, have a great career and pick things up as they go. But I, I think generally speaking, uh, not having a fundamental understanding of networking uh, and fundamental uh, understanding of kind of some other branches within IT, so maybe like some system stuff, definitely makes it a lot more challenging to get spun up and get into a infosec or, or cyber position, especially one that is requiring you to be technical. Because if you don't understand how networking works, um, it's really hard to defend something if you don't understand what it is you're defending. So it's it's definitely something whenever anybody, you know, ask my opinion on that, I'm definitely like, you definitely want to go just said definitely like five times. <laughs> you 100% want to go uh, super important go focus on networking <laughs> fundamentals. I've never heard anybody who's gone and done that been like, Oh, I regret, <laughs> I regret learning about networking. <laughs> like, you know, I, I got I'm doing cloud stuff now and cloud security. And I wish I hadn't spent that that four months digging down into Network Plus to really get an understanding of data flows and different applications, ports, protocols, you know, different different devices in, in the architecture and things like that. So uh, pretty much where I would point folks to I have an, right off the bat. I have an embarrassing sure. question. Like, 
Andy, you say that, but then you ask like the best questions ever. So <laughs> well, I was going to say, eager to hear what. Oh, uh, thank you. I love you for that. That just made my day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I I don't understand what the hell cybersecurity is. Sure. Right. So you know, my my first question is like, what was your first job? And you know, you seem to have transitioned, sure. and I know you haven't because you you do a lot right. of things, but there seems to be a transition from networking to cybersecurity, right? Unless you unless you're <laughs> Unless you believe the boot camps that in 90 days you can make 100K <laughs> in cyber with no experience, right? And right. I say that kind of tongue in cheek. That's some of the nonsense sure. going around. But so, you know, yeah, you get the foundational stuff and networking, like you said. But I mean, what was your first job in cyber? Like, it, there seems to be this very vague gray area of like you were in networking sure. and now you're in cyber and it, and it happened. So like, h- how how does that happen? Like, what the hell is cybersecurity and how does that happen? So I, I would <laughs> Are you I hacker? would say that there's a there <laughs> depending on the organization, there can be a lot of overlap between roles. And so that makes it so it's kind of nebulous from that perspective. But just from a high level, just so you know, this is this is my opinion on what the definition cybersecurity is, is dealing with monitoring and protecting IT infrastructure and the and the data that resides within that. Now, I also, a caveat with that is there's a difference between cybersecurity and InfoSec because InfoSec also kind of goes over that same thing, but InfoSec also includes data that might not be residing on computers. So monitoring, protecting. Yes. So when I was working at a knock, I was monitoring. I do not believe I was protecting anything. But were so, you but were you monitoring things from a cybersecurity perspective? Were you monitoring things from No, no just break just fix. Break, exactly. Yeah. You know, it yep. was an it was an ISP yep. knock. So monitoring isn't a knock looking for break right. fix. It is watching traffic patterns and looking for people weird, sure. nefarious traffic sure. stuff. Yeah. Like is that what you mean by yes. monitoring? Yeah. Most, most definitely. Okay. So look look Baseline Looking at, at, at traffic and... logs, uh, putting stuff back through a SIM, right? Looking for stuff that way, doing a, analysis. Like if you got a uh, Zeek or core lights and you're looking for anomalous traffic in the environment, uh, different things related to different types of security tools, right? So that could be uh, host-based firewalls, could be web-based firewalls, could be your network-based firewalls, IDF. So you're looking for yes. bad actors, people pretty, trying to get in much. and do bad yes. stuff. How... I mean, it seems like from your your first job out of, you know, the military was working on the president's damn network. So it, it seems like you've been pretty security focused, cyberish f- from the beginning. I mean, did, do you feel like there was a transition or you've always just kind of been I, in that? I mean, uh, protective? I feel like so I, I say this. This is uh, I've said this before a few times, like you've heard the term like blue team when people when people talk about yeah. cyber stuff. So those are like kind of like the, the network the defenders versus like a red team, which comes and does was penetration testing. My feeling is that everybody that works in it is a member of the blue team. They just don't know it. Right. So if you're working on it infrastructure, you are probably, or if you aren't, you should be doing some things that are cybersecurity adjacent, whether that's looking at logs, um, doing configuration, hardening, uh, working with, uh, like maybe scan and remediation teams, patch teams, right? If you go and you do patches on your on your Juniper MXs, right? That that's part of security remediation. So you you are doing a role in cybersecurity, even though you aren't necessarily a security engineer. Again, that comes back to depending on the organization. Sometimes they do have people who are security engineers who are doing the patching for, for certain things. So that's why I'm saying it's, 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 it could be a little nebulous depending on the organization. So, so I made a decision that I wanted to be a network engineer someday and then did the things that you do to be sure. a network engineer. So is it similar to being in cybersecurity? Like, did you, do you, did you make a decision that you want to be in cyber uh, or it's just part of your networking? Value no, I actually, I didn't make the decision. <laughs> what ended up happening was uh, I was a, a senior engineer and had to be responsible for building out systems that needed to be accredited. And in order to get accredited by, let's just say, like the government, in order for the government to accredit a system, you have to go through and have certain types of protections and configurations in place. Right. So all sorts of different things from like uh, having antivirus, having a SIM, having IDP on your firewall, having, you know, all these different things. So since I was the lead on 
a team implementing these things, I had to become familiar with all of these things and familiar with, well, I shouldn't say familiar, uh, responsible for documenting how it was being built, the design, uh, the policies, the procedures, all of those things, create artifacts, package them together so that when it came time for uh, an approval body to sign off on this system is secure, I had put all that stuff together. The team didn't have anybody who was cybersecurity. And since I was, it was my team and it was my project, then it kind of just fell on my lap. And that's kind of how I went from being um, a senior engineer into an architect role. So get a government job or contract. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it doesn't necessarily just have to be that either, right? I mean, because there's commercial companies depending upon yeah. the type of compliance that they have for different types of systems, right? If you got to meet, you know, PCI or HIPAA or something like that, right? You're still going through a thing where you have to configure the environment in a certain way and create artifacts and you're you're documenting your system against a standard, right? So this is the last thing I'm going to say sure. about cybersecurity. <laughs> and it's an, it's an embarrassing thing to say out loud. I think in, I think in 10 years as a network engineer, I don't know if I ever thought about sure. security. And I know that's like a thing you're not right. supposed to say out loud, but I worked, I worked in like really big mm -hmm. organizations. So like we had a security team, we had a sure. cyber team, we had a firewall team. We were very yeah. siloed. So I was just working on transit sure. and route filtering. Yeah. And uh, I, I never, I never thought about security and it's, at this point in my career now, I'm like, you dumb, dumb. What do you mean you didn't think about security? And why are you saying this out loud on like a public show? But, but I just didn't, you know, and, but it, it, it's so sure. important. And maybe it's just because of the size of the orgs yep. I worked in is there were whole teams working on yep. that. Like I wasn't even, I didn't even have visibility to firewalls. I didn't know where they were. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. log into them. And that was yep. by design, but it's just, it's amazing to me that like you, you've been so ensconced in that security cyber world. Seems like from yep. the beginning, I spent a decade and, you know, global networks and never thought about <laughs> security once. And like, it, it's such a weird thing to say. But I mean, I'm sure there, there were certain things that you did do. So you're talking about route filters, route filters does have a security application to it. Um, yeah, you know, right. I'm sure I mean, you're putting, but, but I never thought of like, you're putting ACLs yeah. on stuff, right? Maybe your management interface, maybe. Yeah. yeah. yeah right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, yeah. I mean, totally. It just, I never, I guess I just didn't think of it as security. I mean, it was, but I was also just following standards sure, yeah, the company yeah. wrote. Like, oh, you're standing yeah. up new gear. Here's the ACLs you need to put in the V2Is, right? Sure. right? Yeah. I mean, I know, I remember from CCNA what they're there for in CCMP yeah. studies, but like, I, I didn't, I've just never had the posture managing a network of like, oh no, the baddies are coming. I have to stop them because it was somebody else's sure. job. But it's a really right. neat job. Yeah. Like you said, like, so are you, I'm going to add blue team to my resume. Because <laughs> yeah, we're, we're, we're all, all part of it, man. She's it. <laughs> Ma so make you sure do, you uh, make sure you put a reference in there to yeah. the baddies as well. <laughs> Protector against the baddies. So, do you ever jump teams? Like, have you done pen testing? Have you done some sure. reddish? Yeah, behavior? yeah, yeah. Okay, because that sounds yeah, fun. I mean, it, it it definitely it definitely can be. I've done a, a little bit of that. Um, a little bit of uh, assessment work. So, like uh, comparing environments against uh, you know different types of requirements. Vulnerability assessment, so stuff like uh, Nessus vulnerability type of stuff. You've thrown around so many acronyms, I have no <laughs> idea what they are, and I'm not even going to ask because we could spend all night with. You've said Sims like three times, and I'm like, is it simulation? No, it, it's it's uh, it's a server that collects logs from everything, and then has you can create different rules depending on. So, like if you see uh, failed login attempts on your router, right? Maybe you want to know about that, so maybe it mm -hmm. kicks something off or sends it to a different dashboard, uh, and then it kind of. A lot of the more advanced ones, so stuff like Splunk, will have, you know, different types of analysis where it might correlate between different types of logs. So it's like, okay, we see this type of failed login and we see this type of uh, attack signature coming from a different device and we see this thing. Well, those three things together means like, oh, crap, it's hit the fan. Mm. Like, we, we need to yeah. do something about that. See, that's so amazing to me and so cool. Like, you could see all that mm -hmm. data and start like, oh, this looks like a, an yeah. attack or a threat actor. Or this looks like what someone would look like jumping around yeah. inside of a network trying to well, get access. And kind of things, the, the right? cool thing from a networking perspective is it's the... Only it's the only service in every in the IT environment that actually has visibility into everything, right? So if you are a Windows mm -hmm. server engineer, right, the only thing that you're going to be seeing is you know what's happening to your Windows boxes. As being a network guy, you can do a span port off of something, and you're able to see everything. So it's really that's why that's why network engineers are the best.
I like it. Andy, you know, you mentioned that you've worked for large companies and and you're very siloed. I have the opposite experience. I've only ever worked for small companies and I had to wear like four different hats. You know, I had my network engineer hat, I had my virtualization hat, I had my Windows Server hat, you know, and then there was like the cybersecurity. Everything that we did, we had to think about okay, how do we best protect this device, prevent stuff like this happening? And sometimes it was just. We got to prevent the obvious things, right? Like we got to make sure we got secure passwords. We're not going to put clear text stuff anywhere. Uh, just try to do our due diligence, let alone build up those iron walls and do anything else extra. Um, and, and we also had to do the compliance stuff too. So uh, I've worked at places that had to do like the ISO 27001, the PCI compliance and HIPAA stuff. And, you know, on top of all of my other daily duties, I had to work with these contractors to make sure that this testing got done, the remediation got done, and then we kept up on the remediation so we could keep all of those those sign-offs and make sure that you know we, we were PCI compliant or whatever compliant. And I wish I had had a team full of people that you know worried about just this thing. I wish I was one of those guys that just worried about just this thing, but I... You know, man. And I wish I had more experience like you do. You know, it's, you know, you, you have such a more well-rounded skill set. You know, it, it's just funny looking at both sides of the coin. Right, right. Like, right. Yeah, there, there's definitely two sides to it. You're right. Because you while, know more stuff than I do. I know what, more I know more about WAN than you do, but you know so totally, much yeah. stuff. Like, right. I think that's more useful. Yeah. I, I think the well-rounded thing is, is much better. What's up, Tim? I didn't mean to cut you off. Well, Andy, you, you brought up earlier the concept of all these different acronyms and, and different terms that were thrown around. So I, I got something I want to throw at John around that. So John, when a client or prospective client approaches you and wants some assistance, they've got a presence on the internet, they have some regulations that they need to abide by, and they just want to make sure they're, you know, they have proper internet hygiene from an InfoSec perspective. Do you have like a, a, a run book or set of templates that you approach clients with, or is it, is it more just a listening session and then going through experience that you've had to, to bring back solutions to them? What does that look it's like? It's definitely more of, of a listening session because I think if you, like I could come in with, you know, my, my top five or top 10 best practices of like, yeah, these are the playbooks I want to run and push this stuff out. Um, but it doesn't necessarily account for the uniqueness of an environment, uh, threat surfaces that are, that are open, whether or not sometimes if if you go in and you want to do something that's maybe like mid-level or, or advanced level, that might not even be really what the client needs at this point. It could be such a disaster that you really need to start more rudimentary or, or fundamentally uh, with some some really, really basic stuff. Uh, I mean, for, for instance, so one of the things that I absolutely love and I could talk for like an hour and a half uh, is about network segmentation is one of my favorite topics, and it's something that I don't see done very often, almost anywhere. A lot of times people just go, they create VLANs. If we're lucky, they create multiple VLANs. Sometimes it's not even that, right? <laughs> uh, and they just throw everything in there. And uh, there's no protection of traffic within the VLAN. Um, there might not be protection of traffic going between the different VLANs. There's nothing there monitoring what that traffic could be. And so you're just completely wide open to anything happening because at, at this point, if that's how, if that's how your network is, chances are your patching process probably isn't all that great. Um, you probably have a whole bunch of rules in your firewall allowing things out to the internet or in from the internet, God forbid, uh, that you probably shouldn't have. Um, it just simple stuff like that where sometimes it, it takes taking a step back, looking at what the environment is, what the assets are. The thing is, in some of those cases, there's some some low-hanging fruit that you can definitely take care of. In other cases, it really takes a re-architecture and design and plan to kind of move forward in a way to, to get an organization in a much more hardened and, and secure state. I, I love this topic because I, I think that how we segment devices and networks has evolved a bit. Uh, over the years, because you brought up just a minute ago with VLANs, it used to always be VLANs. And if you didn't have separate VLANs, you know, especially recently, then you were doing it wrong. And <laughs> I was, I would always come back with, well, well, first off, even if you have separate VLANs, if you're not doing anything at the router between them, then you, you still have an issue. But where I think it's evolved a bit is with concepts like 
micro segmentation to where you can have a, a, a major VLAN for the purpose of simplicity in your environment if you want. Um, you know, obviously, prototypical network engineer, you don't want to span VLANs all over hell and deal with spanning tree. But there's, the, the, I mean, there's there's overlay technologies and things that that can help out with that, where you can have layer three everywhere and then and then make it look like you're spanning VLANs. But the concept of of micro segmentation, where you can have clients in the same layer two, but there's policies pushed down to the client at the switch port at the wireless controller that once they are uh, once they're the devices are profiled they get policy and yeah they're on the same vlan they can route to each other but any traffic that isn't allowed deemed not allowed stops at the edge or before it can reach the the destination so i do think it it's it's evolved and i think it's evolved in the in the in a better way yeah no i, I micro segmentation is awesome the the i think the challenge with that then comes to do you have the money to implement it with it, with the tool sets, do you have the the skills to be able to do that? Um, and does it kind of align with you know the the type of architecture, depending on the the micro segmentation tool that you'd be using, right? Does it align with you know the other stuff that you have in the environment? Um, kind of like some other stuff that you know I think equally works as well. And depending on the size of the environment, it might not be an issue to implement. Obviously, as stuff kind of grows larger, this might not scale as well. But uh, private VLANs are great, right? Like that's that's definitely uh, a thing you can do to uh, limit communication within a VLAN. So, you know, you got your promiscuous ports, you got your community ports, you got your isolated ports, and you can kind of be smart with the way that you you design that. Um, Host-based firewalls, you know, you can definitely do a lot of controlling of traffic um, with those. Intra-VLAN ACLs, that's another thing that I've implemented in different solutions. So pretty much you attach, you know, uh, an ACL to a VLAN, anything that's destined outside of the VLAN or coming from outside the VLAN, you let it through because you're going to be doing that filtering more at your, your firewall or, or wherever your, your layer three stuff is. But you then are being specific with the traffic that you are allowing within the VLAN, right? And so there's a whole bunch of different ways you can go about, you know, tackling that problem, um, and depending upon you know the skill sets, the resources, the money, and all that type of stuff, there's definitely options available there. And now a word from our sponsors. Unimus is a configuration management and network automation solution designed for fast deployment and ease of use. Unimus approaches network automation differently. The goal is to lower the barriers of entry to automation. Without having to learn any programming or templating languages, Unimus lets you use rapid automation features for common workflows like pushing large-scale configuration changes or upgrading your routers or switches firmware across your network in minutes. Supporting 300-plus device types across 100-plus vendors with disaster recovery, change tracking, and config auditing features on top of automation, Unimus is the most versatile NCM out there. Now back to the show. When the bad man is in the network. <laughs> when the I love where this is going. <laughs> and I mean it, right? Like, I mean, what do you do? Like, so you, you, you know, you're, your well, first you got to know you, he's right? there, right? Well, that, that's, sure. what, that's what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah. I'm setting the stage. <laughs> so, you know, all your fancy sure. expensive software and your Sims and all that other great stuff that I don't know about tells you like, right. row, yeah, somebody's doing uh -huh. nefarious things. And, and it's after they've been there for four months. Find them and right. Because <laughs> sure. Yeah. <laughs> right, like they're right, hanging out, right. you know, hopefully they haven't locked right. everything down with, uh, what's up? Well, you know, what's that new thing they do where they lock everything down with Bitcoin or whatever. Yeah. But so like, what, what do you, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's fun. Um, it's like, what do you, what do you do? Like, you get notified that they're in. They haven't completely sure. destroyed you yet. But like, row, row, there's somebody in. Do you have to find them, root them out? Like, yeah, what I happens mean, so next? They, Can they, you find them and get rid of them? Do you just start changing passwords everywhere? Like, I mean, there's have, definitely. How do you mitigate that? I, right. I guess there's so a plan. You, you should have a incident response plan for your organization. You probably yeah. will have a uh, DFIR team. So, like, data forensics, incident response, right? Um, and depending upon what it is that you're seeing, right, in the environment, dictates what you're going to be doing with that uh, as far as isolation and shutting things down or not shutting things down. Or, I mean, there, there's no, there's no 100% right answer for every single scenario, I guess. Because right. just because they're in there, you have no idea what they have access to, what damage right. they've done. Yeah. Like, so that is, is that part of the CISSP? Like, you, you need a plan. Sure. I mean, they definitely. 
I, I remember they definitely, talked to somebody, they definitely do talk yeah, about like incident response, incident response in that and all um, that. Yeah. Right. That's the first so, time I heard it. Like we, so normally by that point, you're, you're obviously, you know, in an uphill battle. So I, I think the better mm-hmm. thing to do is look at how you can get alerting quicker to something potentially happening. Right. And so there's this, um, I want to say theory, but methodology, maybe uh, thought <laughs> uh, called active defense. And so what that involves is kind of putting tripwires and honeypots at different points in your environment and kind of enticing the the baddies, right, <laughs> to uh, to go and hit those things. And then when that happens, then you're able to see that this is happening, where they're coming from, and you're much better able to respond and see kind of how they got in the environment. And depending upon what it is, you can actually do some stuff that can kind of just keep them guessing for, for a while because you can. Last, yeah. last cyber question. So can you see them or you can just see the effects of them? Like you can't go, there he is. You're like, oh, he logged into this thing. What's he going to do next? Like, can you look in a network and see where this is? I mean, sure. Is? I mean, depending upon if you actually are setting something up, that is a honeypot, then yeah, you could see stuff in real time as far as like, you know, eh, honeypot, let's say he's smarter to not go through your nonsense honeypot. Okay. Like he knows that's a honeypot and it's not what he wants. He's trying to get in okay. your database. He wants, you know, well, the, the well I mean, so you could, they're actually, so uh, with the database, you can do something called honey tables, which is same idea. It's great. It's the same idea. <laughs> it sounds delicious. <laughs> I mean, look, it's delicious, right? So, you know, you can, you, uh, same idea as a honeypot, right? It's just, uh, some you make some information in your database look like it's the most important thing there. And maybe it's a separate table that has much easier access to be able to get into. Um, and that's kind of thing. You want to leave the door open a little bit. Uh, and then you can kind of see what they're doing alert on that. You know which IP they're coming from, right? And then you can, you can mm. kind of start to at least trace back how it was they got into the environment, right? Because that's the thing is like, it's probably wasn't necessarily a direct connection from the internet. It probably was they popped a box somewhere because somebody clicked on something they shouldn't have. They were able to get persistence on a box. And from there, they started doing other things in the environment, which then comes back to what we were just talking about with network segmentation. And if you aren't doing that, then it becomes a lot easier for them to just start hopping all over the place, right? If you did have network segmentation, then the workstation that the person who works in finance is on should have absolutely no reason to be able to connect to a, a SQL database, you know, in in the database VLAN. This shouldn't happen. So it depends. You'll have a plan. You might be shutting things sure. down, changing passwords everywhere. Yeah, I mean that, that can suck yeah, for okay. sure. Having to go through and and yeah. and nuke everything. I mean, like you know, everybody everybody was affected. Like when all that Solar Wind stuff happened. I mean, that was like wild. Um, which kind of sucks because I like Solar Winds a lot. Yeah. I've been using them for a long, long time and think, think the tool set's pretty solid, but uh, yeah, I mean, that pretty much had everyone's hair on fire because they were trying to figure out, you know, what, what the hell's going on. Uh, and a lot of people got popped, but again, that comes back to proper network filtering because there really is no reason why your solo one server should be able to connect anywhere out on the internet. There's, there's absolutely no reason for that. And if they had implemented it that way, then Stuff wouldn't have gotten popped. Should have went into cyber. It sounds way more fun than WAN. <laughs> Andy, the uh, the the honeypot concept is like the Steve Buscemi character in uh, Grown Ups, where he dresses himself up to to make himself look exactly. young, goes to high school, and how do you yeah. do, fellow kids? <laughs> skateboard and all. Um, yeah, John, I, I don't want to. I don't want to gloss over the fact that during your intro, you said that you. Uh, took the CCIE written a few times yes, and passed yeah. it. Uh, you know, since we are a network yeah, yeah. engineering podcast, so so um, so so. First of all, the, you said you took it a few times and passed it. Did you ever go take the lab? Did you finish no, it? Do you have your numbers? Did not. Is is that still on no. the to do list, or is it, no, have, have you no. just um, no, no? So that was back when I definitely was just on the network engineering path and the non business owner yeah. path. Um, I was. Definitely yeah, doing yeah. that. And uh, <laughs> back then, so when I passed mine, it was uh, when it was like four exams to get the CCMP. Oof. So it was the oh, okay. uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. BCSI, which was the Switch One BCMSN, I think, which was like maybe the routing one, maybe. And then there was like a QoS yeah. one and then a kind of like VoIP and security one is kind of security. I think it was like Oof. IPsec tunnels. 
and a, a little bit of um well they were picks back then but whatever whatever firewall you want to call it oh, yeah. i mean i know they're firepowers now but there was a, another instantiation in between there yeah so it was cool and then like doing the the ie written it just was okay i think i might want to go do this but it's also kind of easy to just like research just go take that and research and it really was it wasn't tougher than the ccmp exams so that's why after I did it the first time, I was like, okay, I'll just. So um, I want to change gears a little bit um, as, as content <laughs> creator to content creator. Uh, at what point in your career did you decide to start creating content and, and why? Like, why did you decide? To start um, that so it was uh, because COVID hit and I was working from home and I'm like, I have all this time <laughs> and I'm like, sounds familiar. I'm like, I guess I should start <laughs> doing something, you know, a little, a little productive and uh it kind of aligned with like a lot of the vendors were like doing free training right it was free training and free certs uh for a lot of stuff so uh that kind of pushed me into i think the one of some of the first few things i started doing like a few cisco videos just you know some lab stuff and then juniper was doing a thing where um they were giving away free vouchers for their associate exams so at that point they had like five of them so I made uh, this video where I like created a Juniper network certification challenge. And I was like, hey, these things are all free. I'm going to go take all five of them <laughs> and see how it goes. Um, and, you know, I, I had experience with Juniper at that point, probably, I don't know, seven, seven years of experience with Juniper. So I, I wasn't too worried about not passing at least uh, the routing and switch stuff. And yeah, from there, it was just kind of took off with maybe doing some other certifications. I did like some some Microsoft stuff because that was free and then some uh, some AWS stuff. And then it kind of just went from there. Then I started playing around with uh, TryHackMe, which is a, a great uh, learning platform for different types of... Uh, mm -hmm. Started off as offensive and defensive cybersecurity labs, but honestly, they have labs for a whole bunch of different types of like IT fundamentals and stuff like that too. So um, I I asked them, I'm like, hey, is there any issue with me filming these on my YouTube channel? And they were like, no. So I was like, all right, sweet. So it was just kind of a lot easier than me coming up with like labs to do designing my own lab, right? So uh, yeah, that <laughs> yeah, was kind yeah. of what what kicked that all off. And then once you kind of start, it's it's hard to stop. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. No, no joke. Right. And as soon as you start getting positive yeah. feedback from the community too. Right? Most definitely. So. <laughs> well, I was going to say, so uh, the other kind of thing with that was like, my mom was a, a teacher. So when I was a kid, so I think like oh. there's probably a bit of me that kind of got that from her and kind of was like, you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. don't necessarily want to go in a classroom with kids. Uh, maybe, I, I don't know, maybe once I get older, um, but Having the ability to create content and share it with people um, is definitely um, satisfying in, in a lot of ways. And then also I had a lot of people throughout my career that definitely helped mentor me and provide me with resources. Um, and, you know, back then that was totally different. Back when back when I started, there wasn't free resources. And if you wanted to learn anything, like let's say you want to learn something Cisco, you pretty much had to go to Barnes and Noble and buy the one Cisco press book. <laughs> that was about that topic. That was it. <laughs> it was going to be super, super dry. Uh, you know, maybe, maybe there was a, a, a boson, uh, you know, CD lab or something for something somewhere. Uh, but yeah, it, it was, it was a lot rougher back then. So having the ability to create stuff based off of stuff that I've learned and able to pass things on, um, definitely something that that i enjoy doing as a way of, of giving back nice nice i love it i love it you you cover so much on your youtube channel it's very cool i mean like it, if anyone wanted to get started anything they could probably pop over there and find the topic um so i i want to kind of throw a question at you it, knowing what you know today and, and you said you guys started in like 2003 20 years ago right um what would you do anything different if you were just starting out today versus how you got started? Um, so is that, would I do anything different starting back in 2003 or, or I guess if you had to start again today, fresh, what, what would you do? Um, how would you approach it? Or how would you recommend somebody starting out today? get man, started? That's a good question. Um, I mean, the landscapes changed a little bit, so I probably would end up getting more into the DevOps and cloud stuff earlier than mm. than what yeah. I kind of did in, in my career at this point, which is definitely stuff that I've started kind of picking up maybe the, the past five years or so. Um, mm -hmm. I 
probably would have tried to embrace coding a little bit more. Um, cause like I, I took coding classes in undergrad. I hated them. I hated Java. I hated C plus plus. I was like, yeah, preach. <laughs> like, I have preach. no <laughs> desire to do right. Now we yeah. all got to be coders. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, now, now at this point, like I like, I like some automation stuff like, you know, Ansible's cool. Terraform's cool. Um, I, I can know enough to be able to go and steal something off of somebody's GitHub and make it work. You know? That that's something, I guess. So I pr I probably would would focus on those, but I don't. know. The flip side of that, though, is, it, and I think this is definitely a, a, a challenge for a lot of people. Is there's just so much stuff now they don't necessarily know which way to go. Yeah. And at least before when I was starting in yeah. 2003, I was like, I love networking, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do networking uh, because like the other choices was like system administration, and so Windows was boring to me. Uh, Linux was scary and like databases, <laughs> there was like two people who did it and they all were like 55 years old. So like as, as a 20 year old, you're like, I, I, I don't know anything about databases. Like I'll just leave that alone. Um, right. right. So I think at least fr from that perspective, it was a lot easier to build up, you know, uh, a intermediate to advanced skill set in things versus now i i think it might be a little bit harder to do that just because you got to know so much of so many different things yeah yeah i mean there's so much you just kind of got to yeah. pick somewhere and yeah. start right like you'll get to it all eventually exactly. you can't yeah. get to it all at once the only other question i had was kind of stemming off of something andy brought up early on in that somebody that wants to make a conscious effort to get into cybersecurity information security i mean i personally see that as like it's it's just this huge elephant that is cybersecurity. So I know there's really good paths to get started, things like the security plus and and things like that. But once you get beyond the yeah. the real basics, what recommendations do you have for people that may want to get into cybersecurity? Do you suggest trying to find a, a specific discipline or or, sure. or something they can hone in on or is there a more holistic approach? I mean, it's, I mean, it's, what are your recommendations? It's always tough and it really depends on the individual. So that's why whenever anybody like says that to me, I always ask them why. Like what what is the thing about cybersecurity that is is pulling you towards it? Um and if they actually have an answer for that, then it's a lot easier to kind of point them in the direction of of, of the things uh that they should do to kind of get beyond um that foundational level. The the other thing that I think is is kind of difficult is I don't necessarily think, and this is kind of like a controversial statement. Uh, I don't, ooh, I know, yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily <laughs> think that go. cybersecurity is like a, an entry-level role. So I, I feel that- No, no. It's not an entry-level role. These people yeah. are bonkers. They're yeah. high. <laughs> I mean, but, right? I mean, you started, you started in the beginning, yeah. like you need funded, like fundamental yeah. foundational. I, but I, I will say that I think that, that there's up, instances like, now because there's such a need within the industry for people that are filling those roles, that there are situations where they are hiring people who don't have the background into those roles. Now, whether or not these people end up succeeding or not is, is completely different. But there are some paths to do that, but I still don't think that that's the, the best path or the, the easiest path. And I think it probably would be pretty frustrating. So uh, to me, I, I think it's better to build up that skill set um, on the IT side as an engineer or at least as, a, as an admin, you're familiar with how things are communicating, you're familiar with processes. The other thing is like, People come into cybersecurity if they don't have a background in ops tempo and understanding like mission impact of business. It's very hard to be able to navigate the intricacies of working between different teams that are responsible for different things and trying to uh, protect an environment in a way where you're not necessarily becoming a hindrance. Because if that's the case and, and you're coming in and you don't necessarily have context to understand why people are doing things a certain way, whether it might be right or wrong, um, 
still having the context can help you work with them to develop the right solution uh, for you know managing and deploying uh, solutions and infrastructure in a way that is secure. And I, I just think coming in off the street and not necessarily having the foundational technical skills and not kind of having at least a little bit of insight definitely makes it more of a, an uphill battle. I know this episode is going to be cyber is now <laughs> not an entry-level position. <laughs> one thing I do recommend breath, quote. to anybody who is interested <laughs> is definitely go to your local cybersecurity conferences. So B-Sides is probably the most famous one. There's chapters. Anybody can spin up a chapter anywhere in the world. They're all over the place. They're great. The community there is really solid. The talks normally are going to be... Um, very actionable and technical, but at all levels of the spectrum. So definitely we'll have a lot of stuff geared more towards the folks just getting in. They'll have talks based on, on career things. They'll have people there doing like resume reviews. They'll have companies there that are hiring tickets to B-sides events normally are like maybe like 30 bucks. And then normally the day before the actual events, they normally do like all day workshops. Those normally go for like 75 bucks. So it'd be like, Oh, uh, you know, sock analysis 101. Like you don't know anything about being a blue team sock person. You can go to that class and they're going to give you just kind of like a very introductory breakdown of this is what we do in a sock. These are the tools that we do. We're going to spin this up in a virtual environment. You can poke around and look at stuff. So uh, B-Sides is awesome. And like I said, depending on where you are, there might be a whole bunch. For me being in the DC area, there's actually three. So there's the one in Northern Virginia, there's the one in DC, and then there's the one in Baltimore. So those of us that live here, we're pretty blessed to be able to have, you know, three cybersecurity conferences that are pretty cheap um, and have a, a really good community of folks that go to them. Are there any vendor certifications uh, for cyber? Most definitely. Uh, so it depends upon the vendor. I mean, so like Cisco has um, security certifications. Uh, Juniper has security certifications. So I have like the JNCI. Hey. Well, so we're saying security and cyber sure. the same thing, like because what I'm getting at, I'm go I'm going back to your like cyber sure. isn't an entry level position. So if there was a cybersecurity vendor yes. certification, I'm I only have to assume that networking fundamentals is going to be part of that core curriculum. You're not going to learn how to secure well, the network I think until that, you learn I networking, think, but no, it's probably so not written I, that way, I think right? the closest thing that you're going to have to that is probably the security plus, but that's vendor agnostic, right? So that. So when you were saying vendor, I was thinking of right. like actual specific vendors. So Cisco, Splunk, Juniper. So like, uh, so for me to get into networking, sure. I was told to get a CCNA, yeah. and that's. But what CCNA I did, like, is an entry level. Right? CCNA so, is is yeah, a pretty a people, like file path. It's a it's a challenging exam to people who don't you have know, background in networking. Advice, I guess. It, it kicked yeah. my butt up yeah. and down the street for two years. <laughs> yeah. So, so, right. you know, but you know, for networking, that seems to be sure. like, Oh, you want to get into networking, get your yeah. CCNA at the very least to get right. through the yeah, HR yeah. screening. Cause yeah. it's going to be on all the job descriptions. Right. Yeah. So in, in cyber, is there an equivalent um, to a CCNA that isn't security? Yeah. Because when I think security, I don't think, yeah. When I think vendor security, that's not cyber security. Yeah. I mean, I, that's inaccurate. I would I say know. the security plus is, is, what what that would be if you're looking at okay. when we're saying entry level we're looking at the the most junior cyber roles they're probably going to be looking or requiring something like that but they're probably going to require more than that mm. as well but that that would kind of be like yeah. the the if someone was like i want to get a cybersecurity cert and they don't have any background or anything that would be probably what i would point them to first but there are a lot of other cyber certs that more on like the ccna level right so Again, like I say, CCNA to me isn't necessarily all the way at the bottom. It's 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 up a little bit more. So, like depending upon the the cloud service provider you use, they all have different cyber certs for their stuff. Mm. Cisco has their cyber certs. Um, yes. So I guess you could look at chat descriptions uh, in cyber if you're somebody trying yes. to get in and look at what they're looking for. Right. Right? Like, oh, you I need mean, you could. Let me go get that. If you're going kind of like down the the network security path, right? That's obviously different than going down like the SOC analyst path, right? And same thing if you're maybe going down like the governance risk and compliance path, that's going to be where you're going to get more into like, you know, the CISP type of stuff, which again, you know, people throw that out there, but you actually can't get a CISP until you have five years of... Which yes. I guess is why you ask those qualifying questions to those people. Like, well, what is it about cyber that Exactly. You because yep. there's different paths yep. within, within that field. Yeah. Very good. Well, I want to take a moment to remind our listeners if you're uh, on the social medias, you can find us anywhere you social at Art of Net Eng. We're on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter. 
uh, YouTube now. You can get us on uh, youtube.com forward slash at art of net Uh, we're releasing some pretty funny content these days. I'm, I'm enjoying making it. Tim's also doing a fantastic job playing every <laughs> single part in, uh, in the video. Tim needs a raise. He's, his acting, uh, resume is growing by the minute, it seems. Um, and, uh, please share this podcast with a fellow network engineer and help spread the word, uh, the good words that we're sharing with, uh, folks like John here, John, where can people find you? So, uh, on Twitter, um, jbizzle 703 YouTube, uh, cyber insight, and then, you know, a whole bunch of other, uh, <laughs> other websites that, uh, people are trying to do stuff on. If you look up cyber insight, you'll probably find me there. Are you a Snoop Dogg? Nickname that some folks at work gave me, and once it kind of stuck, and I made a Twitter account that I didn't think was ever going to grow, then uh, it was like well, I can't really change it at this point. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love Jay Bizzle. That's great. That's, awesome. That's great. Do, do you have a a free, favorite or popular video that you've released? That, uh, uh, Pumper. I think of like some, yeah, I know. Seriously, I should, I should have thought, thought about wow. that. Um, you know, hey, I, I don't mean, know my, if you got like a favorite. It's like video. trying to my, pick a favorite uh, child. <laughs> <laughs> I just dropped a video on my my trip to go visit Juniper headquarters. That was that was kind of cool. If you want to see uh, their lab that they yeah. have there, that they do all their different testing for customers. It's a pretty cool. Video. Like technical stuff, it depends on depends on what you want. You want some CCMP stuff? I got a whole bunch of labs. CCNA stuff? I got a whole bunch of labs. Like you said, pretty much. If there's anything that you want to learn, I probably have a video on it. Yeah, yeah, awesome, uh, John. Before we let you go, is there anything we should have asked you that we didn't? Um, that's a good. That's a good question. Jay, yeah, I know. I, I, try to, I try to. End the, I try to. I try to end the episodes like this. You know, like uh, we, we ask all. We ask a lot of good I think, questions. I think, I think but, you guys uh, hit everything, you know, and then you also asked me a lot of good questions on. last time I was on too. So yeah, I, th- I, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, we'll have the link in the show notes to awesome. everything that, that John mentioned so you can find more of him. And we'll also make sure that we drop a link to the previous episode that John was on where he shared his experience departing the military and crossing into the civilian world. That was a, another great episode with some other good guests. So, uh, John, thank you so much for joining us this evening. This has been such a fun conversation. I've learned a whole lot. I know Andy's learned it done. Uh, I don't know. I don't know about Tim, though. I don't think he. <laughs> <laughs> Always. Every day. <laughs> Awesome. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next time on another episode of the Art of Network Engineering Podcast. Good luck keeping the baddies out. Hey, everyone. This is Andy. If you like what you heard today, then please subscribe to our podcast in your favorite podcatcher. Click that bell icon to get notified of all of our future episodes. Also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We are at Art of Net Eng. That's Art of N-E-T-E-N-G. You can also find us on the web at artofnetworkengineering.com, where we post all of our show notes, blog articles, and general networking nerdery. You can also see our pretty faces on our YouTube channel named The Art of Network Engineering. Thanks for listening.